And what a beautiful song that is to sing of God's amazing grace. I couldn't help but be emotional there as I remember God's grace and how evident it's been upon my own life. So very thankful, so very thankful for the Lord this morning. So good morning to each of you. Thank you guys for being here this morning to our church family, to those visiting for those that may not know me, my name is, is Brandon Reed. I'm the associate pastor here at Christ Covenant Fellowship. Hey, if this is your first time joining us, thank you for being here. We would love to connect with you before you get out of here. So after service, make sure you introduce yourself to one of our members or find myself or Pastor Tyler. We'd love to get to know you a little bit. Listen, if you have your Bibles with you, and I hope that you do, please join me in Philippians chapter 2. There is a lot for us to get to this morning, so we want to go ahead and get started, want to jump in here. So we're going to be in Philippians 2. We're going to look at verses 19 through 30. Uh, this so far, the last couple of weeks, we've been going through Paul's letter here, and it's been a great study. It's been so challenging to us. It's been very encouraging to us, very compelling. As Paul writes this letter to these believers here in the city of Philippi, challenging them to live in a way that is worthy of Christ Jesus. So as we come to this portion today, we're going to see how this connects to the rest of Paul's letter here. So let's read the text, and then I'll pray and ask God to bless our time this morning and work through the reading and teaching of his word. So we'll be in Philippians chapter 2 starting at verse 19, and it reads, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it, how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you humbly. God, we are thankful to gather together this morning and sing your praises. Father, we're thankful for the truth of your word. As we have this time to discuss your word, to walk through these texts this morning, God, I pray that as I speak, I would decrease and, Lord, you would increase, that you would be glorified in me today, that you would speak through me to glorify yourself and to challenge and encourage your people this morning. God, apart from you working, apart from your spirit intervening this morning, my speaking is empty, it's meaningless, it's foolishness. So, Lord, I pray that you would do the work that only you could do, you would open our hearts to receive the truth of your word this morning, and that you would be exalted in it. Lord, I ask these things in the name of Jesus and God's people said, amen, amen. amen. So as we just read that text, hopefully as we were reading it, there were some things that maybe stood out to you in those verses there. And if not, that's, that's okay too. So as I was preparing uh, this sermon, as I was initially sitting down and working through these texts, and I read over these portions of Paul's letter, it almost seems like Paul is switching gears here. It seems like he's giving us some travel plans. It's like, okay, you, 
You're planning to send Timothy. Okay, here's Epaphroditus. You're sending him. It, it could seem like, okay, well, what's, what's the purpose here? At first glance, it can feel as if, as if this is just random information. But man, it's much more happening right here. This is beyond just travel plans. This isn't simply an informational passage. So here's the Apostle Paul who's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he's prompted to include these two paragraphs here for a divine purpose. And again, this may seem a little out of place, like how does this fit in with the rest of the letter, like with what Paul is writing. So what I want to do is take a look at what Paul's been teaching up until this point, what he's been pushing this, these believers towards, and I want us to look at how all of this ties together so beautifully. So what I want to do really quick is just give a brief recap. So let's go back to Philippians chapter 1, and we'll look at verse 27. And this is what Paul writes here. He says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. So here is Paul writing with the purpose of pushing these believers towards this unity and towards fearlessness in the face of opposition. And this is something we've discussed at length during our teaching series over the last couple of weeks. So I believe that's a point we've covered. I believe that's an observation that's fairly clear if you've been here with us through the time of this series. Now, as we jump ahead, let's move ahead a little bit to chapter 1, verse 29. And this is what Paul says. He says, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. And again, suffering and difficulty and tribulation is consistent with the Christian journey. We understand that that is a consistent theme in this letter and in a lot of Paul's writings. Believers should be aware that persecution and obstacle, obstacles and opposition will come. So Paul has pushed them towards this unity, towards standing firm. He's reminded them of the suffering that they will endure. So as we began chapter 2, Paul immediately gives the Philippians reasons or motivations for their unity, reasons to endure this suffering. So in chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, this is what Paul said. He says, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, then complete my joy by being in full accord and of one mind. And if you were here a few weeks ago, we walked through these verses together and we found that there are some awe-inspiring truths here. There are some realities for believers that are in Christ Jesus that encourage us to live for him each day, to bring us great comfort and encouragement as those who are in Christ. So following verses 1 and 2 here in chapter 2, Paul now begins to challenge the motives and the interests of his readers. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Instead, here he calls them to exercise humility, to count others as more significant than ourselves. He says, hey, don't look simply to your own interests, but look to the interests of others. Those are verses 3 and 4 there in chapter 2. And so how does Paul immediately follow up this call to humility and putting the interests of others above ourselves? What does he do? He directs their attention to Christ Jesus in verses 5 through 11. And if you were here, Pastor Tyler led us through what is known as the Christ hymn there. And this is a beautiful, beautiful description of who Jesus is in those verses in chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. We're reminded of Christ's humility. We're reminded of his God-honoring obedience. And of course, we're reminded of his great sacrifice. So if you were here last week, finally, we went through verses 12 through 18. Again, Pastor Tyler led us during that time, and we talked about uh, Christ-like obedience and Paul leading these believers toward this idea of being joyful even in obedience. And in verse 14, he says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Here again is Paul addressing and focusing on the attitudes 
of these believers. He's addressing their uh, motivation for their obedience and the heart behind that. And as the people of God, those who have been saved and set set apart by Christ and for Christ, we should all have the same mind that Christ had. Taking to the cross without grumbling or complaining was the Lord Jesus. So we should pick up and bear our own cross daily with a joyful attitude, joyful in our obedience. So Paul has really, really pushed them in a lot of ways. He spent the better part of this letter exhorting these believers. He's pushed them to unity again. He's pushed them to fearlessness in the face of persecution, to live and be encouraged in Christ, to demonstrate selflessness and humility, to be joyful and obedient. These are some of the things that he's pushing really hard on. And again, he spent a good part of this letter challenging them, exhorting the Philippians to live as those who have freedom in Christ Jesus. But here, as we come to these verses today, to verses 19 through 30, Paul shifts from imperatives to illustrations. He shifts from an exhortation to examples, right? Yes, Paul had given him the example of Christ Jesus. Yes and amen. That is our ultimate example to look to. But here he gives some flesh and bone examples, some real living individuals that these Philippians would have been familiar with. People who are running the race well, who are essentially doing these things, he's pushing them towards. And so we have two examples that we're going to look at. This is a very simple outline. There are two gentlemen that Paul mentions in these verses, and we're just going to look at their lives and see what makes their lives so exemplary. Why are these brothers worth emulating? And these two brothers are Timothy and Epaphroditus. So that's, that's really it. That's what we're going to focus on today is what makes their lives worth emulating, and how can we as believers in 2021 imitate these believers, right? How can we imitate these guys? How can we practically display the attributes and values that they're showing us in our own lives? So what I want to do, let's begin by looking at verse 19. There's a couple of little observations we'll make on the way, but that's basically the crux of what we'll discuss this morning. And let's look at verse 19 right here. And this is what it says. Paul writes, I hope in the Lord Jesus. And we'll stop right there. Paul says, I hope in the Lord Jesus. Now, Paul uses this phrase in the Lord nine times here in his letter to the Philippians. And I'm just going to give you a few of them. I'm not going to read through all of them. He says, trust in the Lord in chapter 2, verse 23. He says, receive him in the Lord in chapter 2, verse 29. He says, rejoice in the Lord in chapter 3, verse 1. He says, agree in the Lord in chapter 4, verse 2. He says, stand firm in the Lord in chapter 4, verse 1. Again, that's not the exhaustive list, but that's just a few of the examples of where he uses this phrase. And what I think is that this is something that we often overlook. We often consider this Bible talk, right? It's just one of those phrases that we simply pass over. However, I don't want us to miss what Paul is saying here. These are three simple words in the Lord that we must not ignore. I want us to understand the significance of what Paul is communicating here. These are very powerful words. And I touched on this a couple of weeks ago when we covered uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. See, at the beginning of chapter 2, Paul points to this encouragement that we have in Christ Jesus. And what we found is that this essentially serves as a reminder of our position as those who have been saved and set apart by Christ. So as we look at this phrase, when Paul says, in the Lord, he's again pointing his readers to who and what should be the foundation and the basis of their source and their source of hope and joy. This should be the foundation being in the Lord for all that they say, all that they do and all that they are being in the Lord. So when Paul says, trust in the Lord, God is the reason for our confidence and our faith. When Paul writes, agree in the Lord, God is the reason for our unity and agreement as brothers and sisters. Right? When Paul writes, rejoice in the Lord, Christ is the object of our joy. When Paul writes, stand firm in the Lord, the Lord is our strength, he is our courage, he is our confidence in the face of tribulation and persecution. It is all a response to the Lord and the reality of being his people. Amen? Amen. Amen. 
So when Paul says, I hope in the Lord Jesus, listen, Christ is the reason again for his confidence and hope. And as we look at this, this verse, I think it's important for us to have the right understanding. What does the word hope mean? How would we define the word hope? I think it's important for us to define it biblically, right? We need to have a biblical understanding of the word hope. You see, the English word for hope carries with it a great degree of uncertainty. However, the Greek word, the word hope, as it's used here, it implies confidence of a future event. In fact, some translations, rather than reading, I hope in the Lord Jesus, it translates, I fully expect. I fully expect in place of hope there. So when Paul says that he hopes in the Lord, he writes as one with a certain and a rock-solid assurance in Christ Jesus. This statement, what it indicates is that all of his plans, whether it's to send Timothy, whether it's to travel himself, whatever he planned, whatever it might be, it's all under the direction of the Lord Jesus. And Paul depends on the Lord for the realization of those plans, right? Paul had placed his hope firmly in Christ Jesus. So this is a great place for us to really pause and, and take a minute. And my question is this, is that you? Is that us? Do we have that type of confidence, that kind of trust in the Lord? Or have you put your hope and trust elsewhere? The reality is this, hope is a dangerous thing when it's misplaced. It's a dangerous thing when it's misplaced. When you hope in the world and the things of the world, they're going to let you down every single time. They will eventually fail you. That's why John writes in 1 John and to remind us that the things of the world are passing away so that we put our hope in the eternal, not the temporal. Right? That is where our hope should rest in Christ Jesus. But I think it's also important to note here that when we hope in the Lord, it's not a conditional hope. It's not based on our circumstances. We hope in the Lord at all times and all situations and all circumstances, whether the things that we pray for and the things that we hope for come to fruition or not. We still have hope in Christ Jesus. Our hope is unchanging because the thing on which we've placed our hope is unchanging. Amen? And Paul is a guy who got this, man. Paul is a guy who totally understood this. He understood this so well. Not only did he preach it, he actually lived it. So he says here, I hope in the Lord Jesus. And I hope and pray that for those of you in here this morning that consider yourselves followers of Jesus Christ, you have that same hope and assurance in him today. So Paul's hope was in Christ. But what was Paul specifically hoping to do? What was he hoping for? Let's look at verse 19 again. Paul says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. So Paul's desire was to send Timothy to these Philippians. So I think there are a few natural questions we must ask ourselves. Number one, who is Timothy? Okay, number two, why does Paul want to send this brother to the Philippians? What's his purpose for sending Timothy to this group of believers? Number three, why does Paul choose Timothy, above all the other people he could have chosen, maybe there were other believers there, other workers in the ministry. Why does he say, I want to send Timothy? These are all questions that we're going to attempt to answer here this morning. I believe the text gives us those answers. So let's start with who, who in the world is Timothy? Who is this brother? Well, if we go back to the book of Acts in Acts chapter 16, we'll find that Timothy was a young man that Paul had met on one of his many missionary journeys. The text tells us that Paul had traveled to Derby and Lystra, and that is where he met Timothy. Acts 16, verses 1 and 2. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it. It says, Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra, and there was a disciple there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. But his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. So Paul meets this young convert, this young disciple named Timothy, and 
Timothy, and this brother has a great reputation. He's highly regarded amongst that group of believers there. So what does Paul do? He takes Timothy and makes him his traveling companion. Now, it doesn't just stop there. Timothy would become much more than a traveling companion to Paul. He would become his son in the faith. He would become like a child, like a son to Paul. In fact, in 1 Timothy 1-2, where Paul pens that letter to Timothy, he writes to Timothy and he refers to him as my true child in the faith. And even here in Philippians chapter 2, verse 22, Paul says, you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. So Timothy was a young man that was very loyal to Paul and faithful in his servanthood. These two had established a deep and real relationship and bond with one another. Paul even includes Timothy in his greeting here in the letter of Philippians. If you go back to Philippians 1, verse 1, he says, Paul and Timothy, servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul opens his letter to these Philippians by saying, hey, we are together, essentially. He's not just writing on his own. Yes, he's the one that wrote this letter. Paul wrote the letter, but Timothy is there serving with him as well. So we know the ways that Paul had served the churches. We know the way that Paul had preached and proclaimed the gospel. In what ways had this young man, Timothy, served? In what ways had he served Christ Jesus? We know that Timothy had helped Paul establish and plant the church there in Philippi. In fact, from uh, biblical studies, from uh, what we have in Paul's New Testament letters, we know that Timothy actually helped Paul to establish four different churches. He helped him to establish, of course, the church there in Philippi. Uh, He helped to establish the church in Corinth, the uh, the church at Colossae, and the church at Thessalonica. And so Paul was uh, very uh, thankful, I'm sure, to be assisted by this young brother in the ministry of planting and establishing churches. And not only had Timothy helped Paul to plant and establish churches, he had ministered to these churches in Paul's absence. Paul had sent this young brother to teach and exhort and to lead and instruct these believers when Paul wasn't available. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but church planning is kind of difficult. It can be kind of hard. It is a very taxing and incredibly taxing work. Shepherding and building up God's people is just that. It's work. It takes a lot of effort, a lot of time, and a lot of energy. So for Timothy to step in and do this over and over and over and over again with the Apostle Paul, man, what in the world would lead this man to do that? What leads a man to walk away from the life that he's living, to forsake everything else, and give himself to such an incredible undertaking? Well, the short answer is Jesus. It is Christ Jesus. It is the grace of God. See, Timothy was a young man that had been converted, that had been called and compelled by Christ to go into the world and to make disciples, to lay aside every weight, every obstacle, every hindrance in order to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Timothy was a young man that answered that call. I mean, what an incredible example this is for us. And here again is a great place for us to pause to really reflect, to do a bit of self-examination here and ask yourself, is that me? Am I committed to the cause of Christ in this way? And that may not look like specifically church planning for you, but that does look like as a believer in Jesus Christ forsaking everything else if he calls us to in order to make him known, in order to preach and proclaim and preserve the gospel. Are you committed to him in that way? Have you answered the call? Have you turned away from the empty glories of the world and turned to the majesty of your Savior? Are you faithfully serving and following him in this way? See, young Timothy had pondered on who Christ Jesus was. He had comprehended the majesty of Christ and all his surpassing worth. And Timothy Consider Jesus totally worthy of his devotion, his affections, his effort, his energy, his time. You see, Timothy knew the words that Paul wrote right here in Philippians 
chapter 2, what we call the Christ hymn. It says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. See, those weren't just empty words to Timothy. Those were words about his glorious Savior. And that's what moved him to live this radical and exemplary life. He was willing to lay it all aside for making this Savior known. See, Timothy's name, I don't know if some of you know this, some of you may not. Timothy's name means one who honors God. And from all that we know about this young brother, he lived up to that expectation. He lived up to that expectation. He lived up to that name. He was one that was motivated by Christ's love and his lordship. And because of Christ, he committed himself to carrying and proclaiming the gospel message and loving and serving others in an incredible way. My friends, this is the life in Christ Jesus. This is what it looks like. So we know that that's Timothy. We know a little bit about who he is. But let's, let's again ask the question, well, why does Paul want to send him to the Philippians? What's the purpose in that? Paul writes in verse 19, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. Now, the Greek word that's used here for cheered, it's only used right here, right? What it means is to be heartened, to be glad, and to have courage. Now, although Paul is a guy who would say, okay, if I send uh, Timothy to this group of Philippians, he's going to give them a, a report about my situation, and maybe they're going to be encouraged about that. Paul says, no, I want to hear how they're doing. I want to be encouraged by the report I receive about these believers that I've poured into so greatly, that I've spent time loving and ministering. And again, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. There are no ministers, there are no pastors, or I'd say I, I hope there aren't, that don't want to hear a good report about their flock, about their, the, the, those that they're sep, uh, shepherding, right? So that's why Paul wants to send uh, Timothy to this group of believers, because he wants to know how they're doing in his absence. He wants to make sure that they are indeed unified, that they are of one mind, that they are standing firm in the faith, that they are living for the sake of the gospel. Right? That's why he wants to, uh, uh, essentially why he wants to send Timothy. But it's right to assume that that wasn't Paul's only motivation for sending Timothy to this group of believers. And we know that uh, Paul would send this young man to faithfully step in in his absence to continue to preach and instruct and challenge those there in the city of Philippi. He wants them to, or Timothy, to continue ministering to them. So if we look at verse 20 here, Paul writes this. He says, I have no one like him. I have no one like him. Now the adjective that's used here, and I hope I pronounced this correctly, is isopsychos, isopsychos, which means equal soul. So when he says, I have no one like him, he has no one that is equal of soul like Timothy. This is an incredible recommendation of this young man. And this truly highlights Timothy's most important quality, that there's no one else that Paul has like him. I'm sure Paul had other believers, those who were a part of his team ministering with him, who were great candidates, but no one was like Timothy. No one was like Timothy. No one else was equal sold with Paul. No one else had the same mindset. No one else had the same desires for that group that Paul had and that Timothy had for them. They were like-minded in those areas. Timothy had the same mentality as Paul. He had the same interests. And again, he had the same desires and well-being for the believers there in Philippi. That's why he says, man, I have no one like him. And then as we read the other half of that verse, it says that we'll be genuinely concerned for your welfare. That's key right here. There may have been some people who claimed that they were, but were they actually? Paul says, no, this brother is genuinely concerned for your welfare. And, and why wouldn't he be? 
If he's like a son to Paul, what his father cares about, that's what he should care about. Here's another great application for us. What God cares about, that's what we should care about as well. Right? If God is our father, what he uh, deems necessary, what he deems significant and important, man, we should focus on those things as well. We should focus on those things as well. And so here Paul is showing he took seriously, or excuse me, Timothy took seriously the responsibility to care for the souls of the believers in those churches. And why wouldn't he care for them? God cares for them. Christ cares for them. So, of course, Timothy understood it was necessary that he would care for them as well. And again, here's another opportunity for us to take a minute and ask the question, Do we take responsibility for each other for the sake of Christ? Do we have a genuine concern for our brothers and sisters within the body? Can we often say that we're concerned? We're concerned uh, only so far as it benefits us. Or we're only concerned as long as it doesn't inconvenience us, right? That's not legitimately caring for our brothers and sisters, And furthermore, and more importantly, that's not honoring to Christ Jesus. I think it's important to include here that if we consider some of the issues we're facing in 2021 and some of the messages that are being forced upon us from society, I think it's important for me to say it right here. If you're genuinely concerned about the well-being of another person, you're going to tell them the truth. You're going to tell them the truth. You're not going to tell them what they want to hear. You're not going to tell them what makes them comfortable. You're not going to leave them in their sin as they barrel down the highway to death and destruction. That's actually unloving. That's the opposite. That's unloving. That's one of the cruelest things you could do to a human being. Right? So we must exercise genuine concern. And that's what Paul says about Timothy here. And I love that he uses the word genuine. So when he uses that word, it illuminates the kind of care that Timothy exercises towards the saints there in Philippi. Timothy's care was not forced. It was not artificial. It was inspired by Christ Jesus. You see, Jesus had changed his heart in such a way that he couldn't help but love and serve his brothers and sisters. And this is the key of all of it, is it not? If we want to care for others like Timothy cares for others, Jesus must change our hearts as well. He has to change us too. He must do the work of stripping away our pride, our selfishness. He's got to give us new hearts, hearts that love others the way that he loves others. Hearts that are humble, hearts that are pure in our motivations, totally motivated by the glory of God and the good of others. See, Paul had nobody like Timothy. Timothy genuinely cared for those believers. And that's why Paul wants to send him there to the Philippians. That's why he picked him above everyone else that he could have sent. This idea of selfless Christ-like servanthood is totally in line with what Paul has been pushing these believers towards in this entire letter. In fact, he's been consistently pointing the church to this idea of unity and humility and sacrifice. And what he's saying here is, guess what? Timothy essentially embodies all of those attributes, right? Look at verse 21. And Paul says this. He says, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Now, you cannot read that text without uh, drawing to mind what we read earlier in chapter 2, Verse 4, where Paul writes, look each of you not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Again, this is all very consistent and it's tying together so beautifully here. Paul is essentially saying, look, man, this brother has done all the things I'm asking you to do. All the things I'm pushing you guys towards. Timothy demonstrates that. Remember, that's the whole purpose of this section Right? Paul is giving us examples of what it looks like to live out the things that he's challenging them to do. Right? Paul wants us to see in Timothy and Epaphroditus, who we'll get to in just a minute, he wants us to see the kind of wholehearted Christian life that Jesus Christ the Savior creates. And it is Christ that empowers these men to live in this way. And guess what? It is only Christ that's going to give us the ability to live this way as well. We must be empowered by him living and dwelling within us. 
See, we understand that Timothy exercised great humility. He stood firm in the face of persecution, continuing, continuing to minister and proclaim Christ even in opposition. He's unified. He's with Paul here. He's of one mind, one spirit. He's humbly serving the interests of others, etc., etc. He's doing all of the things that Paul is pushing them towards. And he'd really honestly proven his faithfulness and his commitment to the Lord Jesus in the way he committed himself to serving and loving the Apostle Paul. And Paul says in verse 22 that the Philippians know Timothy's worth. He had shown himself to be faithful and to be true. When I read that verse, it often takes me to 2 Timothy 2.15, where Paul writes, he says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. A worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. See, Paul knew that Timothy had indeed proven his worth, that he had worked to present himself as one that was approved. I don't think that was ever in question for Paul. He knew the character and the integrity of Timothy. He knew his commitment to Christ Jesus above everything else. See, Timothy had a wonderful reputation that preceded him in loving Christ Jesus and putting the interest of others before his own. And again, that's what it means to follow Christ. That is the measure of a truly servant-hearted individual. Place others above ourselves for the glory of Christ and the sake of the gospel. And that is who Timothy was. As we move to verse 23, Paul says, I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. Now, of course, Paul wants to send Timothy to this group of Philippians, but he wants to make sure his own circumstances are in order. See, he needed Timothy. Timothy was there ministering to him. He didn't want to send him to these Philippians just yet because he wanted to send a good report to them as well. He wanted to make sure they were encouraged by his situation. So what does he do? Instead, he sends this brother named Epaphroditus. And so we'll talk about a little bit about who Epaphroditus is, right? I'm sure we, we've talked about him over the last couple of weeks. He's, we found him here in this letter, and he was a brother who had been very faithful ministering to that church, and then he comes to minister to Paul on behalf of the Philippians. So we have this great example of Timothy, and now we move to Epaphroditus, again, a man sent by the Philippians to care for Paul, to minister to him during his imprisonment. And in fact, in chapter 4 of this letter, in verse 18, Paul thanks them for the gifts that he's received because of Epaphroditus. Because of their support and generosity, Paul was blessed through this brother. But the reality is, for Epaphroditus, this was not an easy journey. And you may ask yourself, why? What was so difficult about this? Well, we know that Epaphroditus fell ill. He didn't just get a little bit ill. It says that he nearly died from this sickness. Now, we don't know what the illness was that he had. Some people speculate what it might have been. We're not really sure exactly what he had, but we know that it was very serious. That it had him on death's door. Nevertheless, we know this man was extremely ill as he journeyed, but he continued to serve Paul on behalf of these Philippians. In light of this illness, Paul thought it was necessary, okay, let me send this brother back to the Philippians. But before I do, let me make sure I write this letter and commend this brother for his faithful service, right? So Paul describes this brother here as we come to chapter or verse 25. There are four ways that he describes, really five. We'll put the last two together. There are four ways that he describes this brother named Epaphroditus. And so the first thing he says is he calls him his brother. He calls Epaphroditus his brother. See, he was more than just a friend to Paul. He was more than just uh, somebody to assist him. He was his brother in Christ Jesus. And this is something I think we don't ponder on enough. I think we use the terms brother and sister quite a bit. We use them very frequently, but we don't grasp the magnitude of what it means to be family in Christ Jesus especially at a time where the world is so divided. Divided now, it was even divided in Paul's day as he wrote this letter, right? There were ethnic and cultural and political divisions, and you better believe there's some now. But man, we praise God that despite those differences, his gospel unites us. 
not as some organization or corporation or club. It unites us as family, as brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. See, Paul saw Epaphroditus this way. He saw him as his brother, which is why he was inclined to act on his behalf. To say, man, this dude is ill. He's struggling. He's longing to be back here with the Philippians. He's near death with this illness. Let me send this dude back. See, Paul loved him as his brother, and that's why he's moved to intervene in his situation. So he calls Epaphroditus his brother. Next, he calls him a fellow worker. Listen, as those who have been saved by the grace of God who are in Christ Jesus, we are all called to the work of making Christ known and proclaiming his glorious gospel. And though this is indeed work, we must remember that we are ultimately working for the glory of God. See, Epaphroditus was a fellow worker for the sake of the gospel. Friends, that's a truly honorable, a good and glorious thing. Now, I think it's, as an aside, I want to offer this. Paul isn't saying that uh, Epaphroditus was working for his salvation. That's not what we're pushing towards here right? You do not have to work to earn God's favor or your salvation. That is a gift that is freely given by the grace of God, right? So when we say a fellow worker just working to glorify and exalt the name of Jesus and preach and proclaim his gospel consistently in every area of your life, and that takes work. You know what else takes work? Loving people. Sinners, right? It's difficult. If you don't know, you will right? Very difficult, but it takes work. We are ultimately working to glorify God. Epaphroditus, Paul says, was my fellow worker in the ministry. Number three, Paul says that Epaphroditus is a fellow soldier. And this is a reminder that the work of the gospel, working on behalf of the Lord, is more, the, more of a battle than it is a job. It's more of a battle. Like we're in the midst of a spiritual battle, Friends, I hope you understand that. Ephesians 6, it gives us this imagery of a soldier, of a battle, of war, right? Ephesians 6 says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Again, we are constantly at War, so we must move accordingly on the battlefield as soldiers for Christ Jesus. What does Paul do? He commends Epaphroditus here for being his fellow soldier, one that strived with him side by side for the sake of the gospel. So Paul says, Epaphroditus is my brother. He's my fellow co-worker. He's my fellow soldier. And finally here he says he's a messenger and a minister. He is a messenger and a Minister. Now, the word messenger that is used here comes from the same word where we derive the English word apostle. Now, I think it's important to understand, I, I want to make this distinction, that Epaphroditus is not an apostle in the way that Paul is an apostle, right? As one that is called specifically by Christ Jesus. He's not an apostle like the 12, right? Or like uh, the apostle Paul. However, he is uh, what we'll call a sent one, because that's essentially what apostle means, a sent one in the broader sense of the word. He was sent by the Philippian church to meet the needs of Paul during his imprisonment. This is what Epaphroditus was called to do, and that way he is an apostle because he's sent. I don't want that to trip you up. I want to make sure we have that distinction correct. But here's what I do want you to understand as well. We are all called to be messengers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are all called to minister to the needs of those around us on behalf of Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. Do we understand that? If we don't, maybe we should go back to the beginning and start again. I think we all understand that we are called to be messengers of the gospel. We are called to minister to those around us on behalf of Christ Jesus. Jesus. So Paul says, Epaphroditus, brother, worker, soldier, messenger, and minister. What a beautiful commendation of this brother, Epaphroditus. Paul praises this man for his faithfulness. 
and for his willingness to serve for the sake of the gospel. Again, let's stop, ask ourselves this question. To those of you that are in here this morning, they call yourselves believers in Jesus Christ. You say that you are a Christ follower. Is this how people would describe you? Is this what they would say of you? That you're a brother in Christ, living amongst the family of God. That you are working to make Jesus known, working in the ministry as a minister and a messenger. That you are a soldier on the battlefield for Christ. Is this how they would describe you? See, people are going to describe you in some way. And you can't always dictate the way that people describe you and what they say about you. But there are some practical things that we can do. We can be faithful and obedient in our gospel proclamation and the way that we serve and love other people. Right? You've made an impression on people. You have a reputation that precedes you. Is this the way that they would describe you? As Paul commends Epaphroditus here. And if it's not, and if you're honest with yourself and you know that it's not, number one, repent. Number two, pray that God, by his grace and his mercy and in his spirit, he would lead you to live accordingly. Again, that's what it's coming back to, that Paul is telling them to live in a manner worthy of Christ Jesus. Timothy and Epaphroditus both exemplify that in a beautiful way. Right? And in verse 26, it says that Epaphroditus was longing to see the believers at Philippi once again. And he was distressed because they had heard that he was ill. Now, this is really radical here, right? It says that he was distressed not because he was ill, but because they had heard that he was ill. You see, when we get sick, we want people to feel sorry for us. We want them to acknowledge our sickness and rally around us and take care of us. And all that's great. Now, this brother says, I just want them to, I want to lift that burden from them. I don't want them stressed because they know that I'm sick. I'm longing to get back to them, right? This is, again, an incredibly selfless and radical and Christ-like perspective for this young man to take. Oh, that we would be so focused on others in this way. Oh, if we could be that. It's a challenge to each of us this morning. So in verse 27, we learn that, again, this brother Epaphroditus is near death, right? But God, but God. Man, how beautiful are those two words when they're together? How powerful and inspiring. But God. Paul says that this brother was ill and near death. However, God in his mercy allows him to recover and to continue this work of the ministry. Paul says, not only does he show mercy to Epaphroditus, he showed mercy to me, lest I would have had sorrow upon sorrow. And so what Paul is talking about here is he would have uh, mourned if Epaphroditus had died. His sorrow would have been increased because he didn't get to send this brother back to the Philippians. He didn't get to give them a good report. Right? He would have had sorrow because of that. See, Paul wasn't grieved because he was in prison. He wouldn't have grieved if he never received the gifts from the Philippians. He would have experienced great sorrow had his brother, his fellow worker, his fellow soldier, his messenger and minister in the gospel, if he had passed away. He would have been grieved by that. See, here Paul, uh, again, is demonstrating this idea of being others-oriented, focusing on the, the situations and the necessity, the needs of other people. This is Paul focusing on that. And here in verse 28, Paul says that he is eager to send Epaphroditus back so that they may rejoice in seeing him again. See, they, Paul or Epaphroditus, he missed them. They missed him. He was longing to be with them. They wanted to see him as well, especially when you remember they'd heard that he was sick, right? So they're probably worried about this brother. Man, is he going to be okay? Is, well, we just want to see him. We love him. He, we need him back here. So Paul said, even expresses some anxiety over this brother Epaphroditus. And we don't necessarily know exactly what his anxiety is for. We don't know exactly what's causing it. I think we're right to assume that he was anxious about his illness, anxious about the others wanting to see him. Maybe he just wasn't able to focus all the way on the ministry that had been given to him because this brother's there and he's sick. Right? So Paul says, you know what, I'm just, I'm just going to send this brother back to the Philippians. And so Paul feels relieved to be able to do that. And here in verse 29, Paul says, 
Receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. You see, Paul wanted to make sure that Epaphroditus received the right reception from these brothers and sisters for his faithful servant. He says, receive him in the Lord. In other words, receive him the way that the Lord would. Receive him the way that Christ Jesus would. You see, being in the Lord, again, as we go back to that phrase, in the Lord, it highlights what is central and primary to our relationship as believers in Jesus Christ. And the way that they should welcome this man should be worthy of Christ Jesus, worthy of a brother who had given his all to make Christ Jesus known. The believers there at Philippians and Philippi, they should receive him with great joy, fully and wholeheartedly embracing this brother because of his faithful service. And friends, this is the way we should receive each other, is it not? With great joy, with open arms, loving and caring for one another. Paul says to honor such men as Epaphroditus, men like Epaphroditus, men like Timothy. Those are the ones that we should esteem. Those that are devoted to honoring Christ, those that surrender their lives to glorify Jesus. Here's the issue, man. I don't know why so many believers and Christians and churches look to honor and glorify those outside of the body. We are so quick to give our praise and honor to these worldly and secular individuals. Not to say that there is no virtue found in those outside of the church. Yes, people can do some great and glorious things. But when we uh, neglect to honor and give glory and praise to those who have worked so hard to make Jesus known, what does that say about our belief? What does that say about who we are and where we stand? We shouldn't neglect those within the body that we should esteem, that we should honor, to honor those in the world. That's backwards. Again, that is not honoring to Christ. You see, when we honor brothers and sisters like Epaphroditus, like Timothy, like Paul, we're really honoring Christ Jesus because there's such a great reflection of who he is. Such a great reflection of who he is. So Paul tells them, look, honor this man. And he's not telling them to honor Epaphroditus because of his success or because of his accomplishments or because of his popularity. He's saying, honor this man. Why? Because he nearly died for the work of Christ. He risked his life for the ministry. And this is how I want to end our time here today. You see, Epaphroditus was a servant of the gospel, and he committed himself to Christ Jesus, even when it required him to risk his own life. So you got to remember what's happening at that time, given, again, the cultural and political tensions, being under the rule of Rome, anyone who claimed the name of Jesus Christ, look, it was going to be really hard for you. It was going to be really, really hard for you. We also know that this man risked his life by journeying to Paul while he was ill rather than remaining in Philippi or somewhere where he could have received great care for his illness. He says, no, I want to continue in the work of the ministry all for the glory of Christ. He risked his life for Jesus. Now, there are several commentators that suggest when Paul uses the word risk here, they they believe that it carries with it this idea of, of gambling, like putting it all on the line for Christ, like gambling it all on Jesus for one roll of the dice, betting it all on Christ. And while that's an interesting interpretation, apparently there isn't much evidence to suggest that. Now, the verb form of the word risk here that Paul uses means to expose to danger. So rather than thinking about gambling and rolling the dice when we hear the word risk, I think we should hearken back to the, uh, the words of the Lord Jesus in Mark chapter 8, 35, where he says, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will save it. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the sake of the gospel, that is what we should think about, not risking it all on dice. Is it ever a risk when you give your all to Jesus Christ? You may face some danger. 
But you know what you receive in the end. You know what you're given. You know your position in Christ Jesus. You see, Epaphroditus didn't consider his own safety and security to be his greatest priority. He risked everything, including his own life, for the sake of Christ. This should be an example that constantly challenges those of us who say we are believers in Jesus Christ. Is it our personal safety that's paramount? Or is it our personal sacrifice for the glory of God? You see, the life lived in obedience to Christ is a risky one. It's dangerous. It's difficult. It's filled with tribulations. We can expect trials. We can expect persecution. Now, maybe because you live here in America, that reality is lost upon you this morning. Maybe we say, man, we have so many religious freedoms, right? We are naive to think that that will never change. We are naive if we think those freedoms will never be taken from us. We are naive if we think we will never face any kind of suffering or persecution on behalf of Jesus Christ. It may not be happening right now, but I think we need to be aware that that time is coming. So again, let's stop, and we, I want to pose this question to everyone in this room this morning. It says they're a believer in Jesus Christ. I want you to ask yourself this, am I willing to risk it all for Jesus Christ? And again, think about how we just define risk, giving up our life in order to find it, right? Giving up our life for the sake of the gospel. Am I willing to risk it all for Jesus? Am I so committed to him and his gospel that I too, like Timothy, like Epaphroditus, like Paul, that I will lay aside every weight, every obstacle, every hindrance, even my own safety to the praise and glory of the name of Christ Jesus. See, I believe when Paul writes in Philippians 3, 17, this is what he says. He says, brothers, join me in or join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. See, that us that he uses there, I believe he's talking about Timothy and Epaphroditus. That's who he's directing their attention towards there. See, Timothy lived a life focused on others. Epaphroditus risked his life for the work of Christ. And my hope and prayer is that we're a church, we're a people who imitate believers, men like this. That we follow their example. As we close, we must remember, I think it's important for us to understand that the gospel of Christ isn't just something really good to think about. It's not just something that we ponder on. Right? It's not just a really good idea. But the gospel of Jesus Christ, it creates a beautiful gospel culture for us to live out each day. Timothy and uh, Epaphroditus, they're proof of this reality. Right? They are proof that the gospel is real, that it's true. I mean, why else would they risk their lives and put the interests of others above their own consistently time and time again? It doesn't make sense apart from the reality of Christ Jesus. Jesus. It doesn't make sense apart from his life, his death, his burial, and his uh, resurrection. Apart from that, none of that makes sense to live that way, right? Brothers and sisters, our lives bear witness to the fact that Jesus suffered and died. If others see in us this kind of Christ-centered self-sacrifice, they see the truth of the gospel in us. And of course, we can't do this on our own. It is Jesus Christ that empowers us to live this way. He not only shows us the way, Jesus Christ is the way. He is the way. So my hope and my prayer is that we would be faithful to Christ and his gospel, and that we too would live lives that are exemplary and worth commending as we imitate these believers like Timothy and Epaphroditus. But ultimately, my hope and my prayer is that we imitate the suffering servant, the one who humbled himself and is now highly exalted, and that is our Savior, Christ Jesus. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful. God, we are in awe of your grace and your mercy God, you have saved us for your divine purposes. 
Your desire for humanity is to display your glory throughout all of creation. So, Father, I pray that by your power, by your spirit being at work in us, we would do just that. We would bring glory to the name of Jesus by the way that we live. Father, as we read today, there are some wonderful examples of brothers and sisters who have gone before us that live lives that are worth emulating because of their commitment to you. God, help us to follow their example. Help us to lay aside everything else that might slow us down and hold us back and to truly be committed to the cause of Christ, to elevating his name. God, help us to take responsibility for one another as we read. God, to love each other, to be concerned for the well-being of our brothers and sisters within the body. God, help us to love each other well. God, I pray that you would lead, guide, and bless us in all that we do, not to the praise of our name, but for the glory of God and to the exaltation of Christ Jesus. Help us to represent you, to be great ambassadors for Christ. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.